Our gospel lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Have you ever heard of a super yacht? As described in a recent issue of The New Yorker, a typical offering at the Palm Beach International Boat Show was a 203-foot superyacht named Sea Owl, selling secondhand for $90 million. The owner was throwing in furniture and accessories, including several auxiliary boats, a Steinway piano, and a variety of frescoes. Nevertheless, this package was a modest one, the largest superyachts are more than 500 feet on a scale with naval destroyers and cost six or seven times what he was asking. Quick math, six or seven times 90 million is between 540 and 630 million dollars. The superyacht is the fastest selling toy for Russian oligarchs and others among the world's ultra-rich today. Now that kind of rich is very easy to mock. And whenever we read the parable that's in today's text, we're tempted to caricature the protagonist and mock him as that kind of rich. Storing up not just grain, but luxury goods, mansions, super yachts. I mean, God straight up calls him a fool, which would seem to make him fair game. This parable is commonly called the parable of the rich fool. So doesn't he kind of deserve it? But the caricature is unwarranted. The man in the parable is not a guy with a super yacht. He's a guy with land. This year, due to a combination of circumstances that he does not control, including sun, rain, and pollinators, his land produced abundantly. In fact, more than he could store. And so, says the text, he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will rent a storage unit. Just kidding. <laughs> he said, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. He had to destroy his farm 
in order to save it. That is, to save it all for himself. It is often hard to know what to do with abundance, especially the abundance of nature. My mother-in-law, when she moved to Florida, was pleased to have a grapefruit tree in her yard. But she quickly found that she and my father-in-law could not eat all the grapefruit, not possibly. So she filled a plastic bin with grapefruit and she dragged it to the curb and put a sign on it, please take. Of course, she had no takers because everyone else in the neighborhood also had a grapefruit tree. But her heart was in the right place. Unable either to consume the grapefruit or to store it, she wanted someone else to enjoy it. Now, the man in the parable doesn't think about anyone else enjoying his grain. It is, after all, his grain. So abundance for him produces anxiety. How to keep it? And once he has a solution, bigger barns, then he imagines his bright future, relaxing, eating, drinking, making merry, all his anxiety laid to rest. Or so he thinks. Whether his solution will actually still his anxiety, we don't know, because he never gets to execute his plan. He's still imagining it when God interrupts him. And that's the part where God calls him a fool. Now, my guess is that his plan would not have relieved his anxiety. Rather, it would have given him more to be anxious about. More grain means more potential loss from rot or rodents. Bigger barns mean bigger headaches. Had he ever gotten started on his plan, his life might have become a cycle of more possessions leading to more anxiety, which he would try to steal with more possessions, which would only produce more anxiety and so on. That his life would instead be demanded of him before that got started was probably a mercy. This man does not need bigger barns. What he needs is a bigger imagination. With a bigger imagination, for example, he might be able to imagine the lives of others. He might be able to imagine, what's it like to be someone who does not have enough to eat? And imagining that, he might begin to imagine something he could do with his grain besides store it all for himself. And then he might begin to imagine that he's part of something larger than just his farm and his needs, and to imagine that within that something larger, he can make a contribution. And imagining that, he may begin to imagine that his life was created to serve some purpose. And if he imagines himself as created, he may begin to imagine a creator and so develop faith. Faith is the gift of the Holy Spirit working through big imaginations. With faith, our rich fool may become less foolish. He may begin to imagine that the Creator offers a life in which he is not entirely on his own, does not always have to be pulling himself up by his own bootstraps, does not have to withhold good from others, and certainly does not have to actively harm others in order to meet his own needs because he's loved by a Creator who will care for him 
and hold him and carry him forward. With the greatest, most imaginative leap of all, he may begin to trust. He may begin to see that God is trustworthy. One clear message of not only today's gospel text, but today's psalm and epistle reading as well, is that possessions are not trustworthy. Wealth is not trustworthy. Trusting in possessions and wealth is a recipe for further anxiety because having much tends to make us worry that we need more. Ironically, the more we have, the less secure we may feel. We may become greedy for security itself. And as Paul clearly tells us in today's Colossians text, greed is idolatry. We must avoid the temptation to caricature the man in the parable because caricature lets us off the hook. When the standard of excess is a Russian oligarch or some other rich fool, we're satisfied with how we live in comparison. For most of us, I'm guessing it's really easy not to make an idol of a super yacht. It's a lot harder not to make an idol of whatever we cling to to get us through the, day, through the day. Jesus in today's text tells us to be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Not coveting our neighbor's super yacht does not allow us to walk away from this gospel text unscathed. Besides relating clearly to our own struggles with possessions, this text also relates to where we've been going in the Gospel of Luke. And I don't want us to miss that. Stop and remember why Jesus told this parable. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Two weeks ago, Andrew preached on Luke's story of Martha and Mary. And Martha was mad because her sister Mary was listening to Jesus speak instead of helping her prepare the meal. What does Martha say to Jesus? Tell my sister to help me. Suddenly, everywhere Jesus goes, someone is trying to suck him into a family drama. Tell my sister, tell my brother. Greedy, as it were, for Jesus to argue their case, to vindicate them. If you don't believe people are greedy for vindication, read the Psalms. They are greedy to ensure that they get their portion. Lord, my sibling has stolen my portion. There's not a big enough portion for me. Tell them to give me my portion. And yet, there is enough and more than enough for all. Today's parable offers not only a warning about greed, but a contrast of our greed with God's abundance. Just dwell for a moment on one verse of the parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, not because he was rich, but because God is good. Even churches can get into a kind of portion competition. Congregations are often looking sidewise at each other's portion. What's that neighboring congregation doing with music or youth group or vacation Bible school, and how has it increased their attendance numbers? Because too often the real concern is, in a shrinking pool of churchgoers, are we getting our portion? 
That's the way we might think if we see our churches as barns and the members as grain. And we feel insecure about the amount of grain in the barn. Instead of marveling at the abundance of God's love that made the grain grow in the first place. Instead of focusing on how we share the abundance of that love beyond the walls of the barn. In his sermon two weeks ago, Andrew said that our primary purpose is to share in the inheritance of the people of God. Not to store it up for ourselves, but to share. We have an inheritance and that inheritance is a house. As Andrew also said, salvation is the house in which we live. A house that God is building in and through us, a place to live and to grow together. It's a house in which each one, rather than hoarding his portion or being jealous of another's, contributes his portion for the good of all. Andrew posed the question, how might our love begin to mature and to develop if we let go of the mistaken notion that we always have to compete and instead begin to place our trust in the sufficiency of grace? Imagine a level of trust that inspires us to say to our souls, souls, God has ample grace for eternity, and there is more than enough to go around. Enough for Martha, enough for Mary, enough for that poor rich fool, enough for home church, enough for the world. We might trust so deeply in God that someday we may pull down the barns. Not because we need bigger ones to store the grain, but because we have bigger imaginations for sharing it. Amen.